Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. May the peace, mercy, and blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be upon all of you. My name is Maymuna Hussain, and I welcome you to Islam and Life, which is a live production through the Muslim Association of Canada. I want to remind you that uh, Islam and Life can also be found as a podcast on the various platforms that you'll see just across the bottom of your screen now. Um, and so, uh, inshallah, as we begin, let us begin with Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim in the remembrance and praise of Allah subhanahu and let us listen to some verses of the Quran. Alam tara anna Allah anzala minas samai ma'an fa'akhrajna bihi thamaratin mukhtalifan alwanuha وَمِنَ الْجِبَالِ جُدَدٌ بِيضٌ وَحُمْرٌ مُخْتَلِفٌ أَلْوَانُهَا وَغَرَابِي بُسُودٌ وَمِنَ النَّاسِ وَالدَّوَابِّ وَالْأَنْعَامِ مُخْتَلِفٌ أَلْوَانُهُ كَذَلِكَ إِنَّمَا يَخْشَى اللَّهَ مِنْ عِبَادِهِ الْعُلَمَاءِ إِنَّ اللَّهَ عَزِيزٌ غَفُورٌ I want to welcome my co-host, Brother Khaled Al-Qazaz. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah. Wa alaykum assalam wa rahmatullah. I'm uh, happy to be here today and uh, very honored and privileged to uh, uh, interview one of my role models and uh, one of the impactful people I uh, uh, I know and uh, looking forward to this interview today, inshallah. Alhamdulillah. And so as we begin, before we get into our conversations for tonight, uh, let's go into our critical question. Brother Khalid, we have a question about Ramadan. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yes. Uh, so I wanted uh, people in the preparation of Ramadan uh, in this, uh, we're less than a month away from Ramadan and we pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as the Prophet Sallallahu uh, prayed, Allahumma balighna Ramadan, may Allah Subhanahu wa Taala make us reach uh, Ramadan. Uh, that we think about uh, Ramadan differently this year. And uh, yes, Ramadan is, in itself is a is a target and a goal where we try to achieve uh, uh, things with Allah Subhanahu wa Taala and a higher status. But also Ramadan can be a vehicle and a tool and a way to uh, achieve other things in life. It can be a transformative experience. Uh, that one engage in so that they are prepared to do more after Ramadan. So uh, I would like our audience to connect with all the topics that we've explained uh, with Islamophobia, setting up families, and now we're talking about uh, relief and uh, dealing with disasters. How can the, all of these come together and you find yourself a way uh, and uh, prepare yourself through Ramadan to a new role that you would like to play or to bolster the role that you already uh, do this year. So these are all questions around how can you benefit from Ramadan this year in a very critical and deep and transformative way this year. And and I hope this uh, this is a good drive for you this year. And this conversation, inshallah, inspires you today to to uh, uh, to use it in this special way. So our purpose with the critical question is to engage with all of you, our audiences, and to get to, the, you know, understand and have this dialogue on, uh, you know, how we're interpreting our realities, what's the conversations out there. So the question is, how are you preparing differently for Ramadan this year? So send us your thoughts and your responses uh, through any of our social media platforms. You can also email us at productions at macnet.ca. I also want to remind you that 
uh, we always love to engage with you, our audience. And so throughout uh, the conversation uh, today, if you would like to uh, send your questions to our guest, you can do that. You can either type it in right at the bottom of the YouTube uh, um, channel or you can uh, join us on Zoom, which our meeting room number is 905-822-2626. So today we have a very special guest uh, who will be joining us from the UK on an important conversation, uh, which is the essence of charity within the Islamic worldview. Just over three weeks ago, on February 6th, we received news of the first earthquake that hit Turkey, Syria, and impacted Lebanon. Now, three weeks later, and after two more earthquakes have hit in that region, we want to continue to explore the concept of relief and how we as Muslims can continue to engage and support the needs of victims. So as we drive this conversation, I want to also remind you that uh, you have the opportunity to participate in the dialogue as well as we are uh, continuing to take um, any donations that you would like to make and you can visit us on our uh, webpage which you can see on the screen right now if you would like to make any donations uh, towards the earthquake relief work that's happening. So now before we get into our conversation let's take a look at what our research team has put together to us for us. On February 6th 2023, a magnitude 7.7 earthquake hit southeastern Turkey and northern Syria, followed by 9,000 aftershocks. This natural disaster left behind a devastating death toll of 50,000 people, more than 173,000 buildings damaged, and around 2 million residents homeless. Around 240,000 rescue workers and volunteers have been mobilized in order to help with relief efforts. A magnitude 5.6 earthquake followed on February 27th in eastern Turkey, leaving at least one casualty and dozens wounded. These earthquakes are a reminder of how vulnerable we are and how little control we have over our homes, lives, and any worldly possessions. The believers that were tested have been selected by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to elevate in rank and reward. Those who have passed are martyrs in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Abu Hurairah, may Allah be pleased with him, reported that the Messenger of Allah وسلم, said, The martyrs are of five kinds. One who dies of plague, one who dies of disease of his belly, the drowned, one who dies under debris of construction, etc., and one who dies while fighting in the way of Allah. Being subject to such difficulties is both a test of conduct and a test of faith as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala promised he would test his believers on various occasions in the Qur'an. Allah says in Surah Al-Ankabut, أَحَسِبَ النَّاسُ أَن يُتْرَكُوا أَن يَقُولُوا آمَنَّا وَهُمْ لَا يُفْتَنُونَ وَلَقَدْ فَتَنَّ الَّذِينَ مِنْ قَوْلِهِمْ فَلَيَعْلَمَنَّ اللَّهُ الَّذِينَ صَدَقُوا وَلَيَعْلَمَنَّ الْكَاذِبِينَ Do people think once they say we believe that they will be left without being put to the test? We certainly tested those before them, and in this way Allah will clearly distinguish between those who are truthful and those who are liars. 
Those who are not directly affected by the disasters are also tested in how they respond to the suffering of their brothers and sisters across the globe. Al-Nurman ibn Bashir reported, the Messenger of Allah وسلم, said, The parable of the believers in their affection, mercy, and compassion for each other is that of a body. When any limb aches, the whole body reacts with sleeplessness and fever. Ibn Umar reported the Prophet, peace be upon him, said, The most beloved people to Allah are those who are most beneficial to people. The most beloved deed to Allah is to make a Muslim happy, or to remove one of his troubles, or to forgive his debt, or to feed his hunger. That I walk with a brother regarding need is more beloved to me than that I seclude myself in this mosque in Medina for a month. Whoever swallows his anger, then Allah will conceal his faults. Whoever suppresses his rage, even though he could fulfill his anger if he wished, then Allah will secure his heart on the day of resurrection. Whoever walks with his brother regarding a need until he secures it for him, then Allah Almighty will make his footing firm across the bridge on the day when the footings are shaken. Here are a few suggestions on what you can do in times of crisis. Donate to relief efforts. Pray for those who are suffering. Reflect on Allah's mercy and might. Remember that the Muslim's suffering in this world is not in vain and will be rewarded plentily in the hereafter. Take this as a reminder and grow closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in repentance and worship. Tonight on Islam and Life, we are honored to have Dr. Hani Al-Banna, President of the World Humanitarian Action Forum, WHAF, join us for a fruitful discussion on the nature of humanitarian relief work and responding to crises. Okay, uh, so then inshallah, let's uh, welcome our guest uh, tonight. Our guest is Dr. Hani Al-Banna. Dr. Hani Al-Banna is the founder, co-founder of Islamic Relief, which is the largest Western-based international Muslim relief and developmental development NGO. He, this was established in 1984, uh, and the organization provides assistance now to over 30 countries worldwide. Uh, the late Queen Elizabeth also honored Dr. Benna's work, giving him an order of the British Empire for his services to the community. In 2015, Islamic Relief signed a memorandum of understanding with the African Union, formalizing a partnership to tackle poverty in the entire continent. Dr. Benna is also the chairman of Muslim the Muslim Charities Forum and Zakat's House and chairman of the World Humanitarian Action Forum. I know Dr. Uh, Henny and uh, Brother Khalid know each other, and I will ask Brother Khalid if you want to say a few words as we introduce uh, Dr. Benna tonight. So thank you for the formal introduction, Sister Maimuna. But I would like to uh, uh, introduce uh, Dr. Benna as a person who inspired uh, generations of people who worked for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala particularly in the relief uh, in the relief sector and uh, I've met him uh, a couple of times a few times but I feel that I've known him for a very uh, for a very long time and I'm really uh, humbled uh, to be in this interview with him today and uh, to try to get the audience to know him uh, more and be inspired as I am and as many uh, are being inspired by his, by his work and uh, just uh, my latest encounter with him was a couple of days when he uh, went to Turkey uh, and uh, basically preparing to visit 
the 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 affected regions in the southern part of Turkey, and uh, you feel like you are with a person who's uh, younger than you, and he's always prepared uh, to be in the right place at the right time to offer uh, advice and support and direction for many uh, who are looking for uh, for for them, inshallah. So uh, uh, in this conversation, we attempt to do this exact same thing. We are actually hoping to have a conversation with Dr. Hani and. Uh, uh, asking him questions about uh, uh, many people who, who are interested in uh, being part of the relief work uh, in general and then specifically around uh, what can they do for uh, uh, t- tribulations and tests and uh, calamities that happen in many different parts of the world. So let's uh, begin the conversation, inshallah. Assalamu alaikum, Dr. Haney. Alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Jazakallah yes. Thank you for being with us uh, in, uh, today. We want to start a little bit, uh, maybe even uh, on your own personal kind of uh, how this work started for you um, as you envisioned, uh, you know, Islamic relief and what kind of brought you to realizing this need and developing this work. First of all, I thank you very much for asking me to speak to your audience today. It's an honor and the privilege for me to spread the message of humanitarian response development, and social cohesion. Uh, Ramadan, for Islamic belief, had the first uh, five, six years since uh, Dr. Khaled al-Khazad was talking about what to do in Ramadan. Let me give you this message, my sister, my brother, and everybody listening to us today or watching us today. For at least six or seven years, Islamic belief worked in the 80s. And let it and beginning of the nineties never spend Ramadan at home. Never had any iftari with the wife, with the mother, with the children, with the parents for years. From day one to eight day and after eight day. This was Ramadan for us. If you want to plow a seed, you have to become a farmer. If you want to become a farmer, you have to look after your land, after the climate, after the water, after the seed, after anything which might affect your land. And this is what has been happening in UK, France, Germany, Italy, Belgium, and, and Holland at that time. None of us spend Ramadan with the family in these six or seven years. There was no telephone. There was no telephone, there was no internet, there was nothing. Only legging it, legging it from a city to a city, from a mosque to a mosque, from a country to a country. This is number one. Number two, alhamdulillah, Islamic leaf working in more than 40 countries, actually. And my first visit to, uh, to, to Canada was in 1993, when we were registering Islamic leaf at UN. At the time, it was a very historic meeting to register Islamic leaf. 1993, 29th of March, 1993. How did we start the work of Islam? Three incidents happened to myself in the year 1982. I was a medical doctor, but I was not a very good doctor. I was ordinary doctor, always fail, then try, then succeed, then fail again, then keep failing, alhamdulillah. And the more I fail, the more I try, the more I manage to succeed sometimes. 1982 was a very crucial turning point in my life where I was exposed to three incidents. 
The first one is the conflict inside a city called Hamas between the local community and the government. Number one. Which gave me an eye-opening to what's happening in Syria at that time. The second incident was the massacre in Sabra and Shatila in Beirut, where a lot of Palestinians were massacred by uh, other groups. The third one is my visit to Bosnia. On the way back from Cairo to London, I stopped in Bosnia, which is Yugoslavia, to discover how the, how the communist socialist regime torturing the Muslims of Bosnia at that time. These three points let me, as Allah SWT wanted to, to let me to have a mind shift from becoming a doctor to become a relief and social worker. 1983 was a big point in my life where we found that 1983 there, there was a big famine in, in, in Africa, in East Africa, in Ethiopia, in a place called Eritrea. And now Muslim organization in the whole country was raising funds for the people there and all the mosques and the others were raising funds and getting into other organizations. After my visit to Sudan in December 1983, I discovered through one of my colleagues in Sudan that actually there's a lot of Muslims coming from Eritrea to Sudan and Muslim Muslims. So we decided on the 17th of January 1984, my colleague and I, my Sudan and I, were actually students in the postgraduate students in the University of Birmingham to sit down and do something. Do something, first of all, we did open a bank account. Now it's impossible to open a bank account without registration. But alhamdulillah, we did open the bank account. We're walking from road to road, from street to street, from shop to shop, from door to door, to distribute leaflets and say, help the needy. This was our slogan in uh, 1984. The largest donation that we took in 1984 was in August, was 1,000 pounds. And Dr. Hassan and myself were sitting in the big hall of the community center in Birmingham and said, hey, it's not 1,000 pounds, it's 1 billion pounds. And the Islamic League already spent more than 1 billion pounds up to Alhamdulillah. Simple start, simple beginning, no resources, no powerful people, no powerful organization, just you do it. Be a farmer. Look at after your seed, after the water, to water your land, after the piece of land, after the vegetation, after the tree, till your tree will blossom the fruits and becomes a fruitful tree. Then you change it from a fruitful tree into a garden and from a garden to uh, what do you call it? A forest. And Islamic leaf now is like a forest. Important Ya Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept uh, from all of you Dr. Uh, Hani but uh, back then Dr. Hani when you first uh, began with your uh, uh, colleagues and friends what did you have in mind like uh, what were you focused on like did you imagine that this uh, effort would be this big did you have this uh, vision that we go everywhere or uh, was it more focused on what you have to do at this moment, at this point, and do it in the best way? Because again, as you said, this was not your career. You were students. You did not have resources. You did not. Cal How did you calculate it? Because people now, when they start to calculate things, they uh, sometimes shun away or stay away from it when it is not uh, uh, in their ways uh, feasible or practical. Our only way of working is work 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 we had one slogan help 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 nothing else 
We're not focused about a big vision. We're not focused about anything. Strategy, uh, plan, uh, resources. We were counting the pennies and half a penny and the nickel. We used to carry this sack of very heavy uh, coins and go to the bank and actually uh, de deliver the, the, the donation to them. And we never thought about resources. And because of lack of resources, we cannot work. No, we have, if you have no resources, you have to create. If you have no vision, you have to make it. If you cannot see your direction, you get somebody to direct you, or you create the way that you want to go through that. At the beginning of the 90s, we started to have a vision. Whenever I was on a plane to travel from A to B to C countries, I used to draw a circle around the cities that actually we need to open off to them. I draw it on many cities in USA, many cities in Canada, in Europe, Africa, and Asia. And alhamdulillah, the vision started to happen at, at, from 1990 up till now. The people who made the difference for Islamic Leaf from 1993 were the young people. They have to mention the name most of the time. Most of them were under 30. Here we go back to the role of youth, to the role of young people, to the role of teenager, or to the role of woman, like Sister Maimuna, sitting with us today. You have a role to play. Don't ever let anybody to deny you of playing your own role, Sister Maimuna. From 1993, we received a handful of young people from different uh, countries. Khaled Roy was originally Indian, reverse. Adhurun Atallah was half Irish, half Egyptian. Uh, Mustafa Osman was hardcore Egyptian. Uh, Nasruddin Haji Hamid was uh, Eritrean from Africa. Uh, Saleh Saeed was uh, British, but was originally Yemeni. Those five, Khaled Fadi Aitani was Lebanese. Those five, Ajangir Malik was Pakistani. Anwar Khan, which is next door to you in America, was actually another person. Those young people made the difference for Islamic from the mid 90s till the till I left. They were the bedrock of how Islamic life grew magnanimously and made the difference not only for the Muslim community but became a very global international place by the young people. Mashallah. Uh, I think uh, many here in Canada are interested to uh, to also know, understand uh, uh, Islamic Relief's uh, core values and concepts that distinguishes it from, uh, let's say, other big charities that are out there. What what is what are the what makes Islamic Relief really Islamic, or uh, and what are the core values that Islamic Relief stood stood on? Honesty and transparency. Let me not to attack anyone else. There is no organization can claim a 0% admin cost. No organization on earth can say zero administration admin cost. They say this to themselves, you're not saying the truth. Never Pena. said, yes. Well, it, yes. It, please go ahead, sorry. I will ask after this. Yeah. Uh, 
people are trying for fundraising purposes to say no admin from the cat and no admin from the fund. Tell them, see me around. I can sort you out. I, myself, and the other been in this business where there's nothing called zero admin cost. Zero admin cost is the Maimona. Only you get it in heaven. When Allah prepare your wish as a dish or your wish as a dress or your wish as a palace. So the one who takes the admin cost from you in heaven is Allah. But on earth, there's nothing called zero admin cost. And even if you have work and somebody is donating something for your salaries, declare it. Be transparent and say, I took my salary from this businessman in a kind donation. And we took the admin cost from the work. This is in kind donation. Even the people who claim zero admin cost for the cat are not saying that this was because the cat is an institution. It's not just a matter of collecting funds. Allah made an institution from the very, very, very beginning and he employed people to collect, to maintain, to distribute, and to empower the community. So don't wait and say that the Khalifa is not there or not admin cost. Now there's no Khalifa. What to do? And most of uh, most of so-called uh, uh, Muslim majority countries governments are not really uh, sound. They have some corruption, unfortunately. So this is a transparency, Dr. Khalid and Sister Maimuna. They are not transparent. One day will fall. So no matter how we beautify the image of the fundraising campaign will fail one day on our net and we have what we call it quadriplegia and uh, clinical death. Yep. What about uh, honesty, Dr. Haney? What about uh, honesty? If you cannot do it, you don't do it. One day I took a $1 million from Qatar, I think at the beginning of the 2000, to build a school in Albania. We failed to buy a piece of land for a year. We tried to try to try to try to then said, okay, fine. Harun was the head of finance. Said what? To give me the money back. We took the, the one million dollars in 2001, 2002, 2000, something like this, nearly 20 years ago. And they went back to the minister of Al-Qaf and gave him the money, the check. Said, what is this? Is that your money? We failed to do the project, take it back. You are the only organization who refund us with our money because you failed to deliver the project. This becomes like a star in the sky of the humanitarian world, but only Islamic people. We could have bought the piece of land with any name, but we refuse to do that. And this is the honesty. Being honest and see how much in the administration you take. And here, Sister Maimuna and Brother uh, Dr. Khalid no international operation will cost any organization less than 15%. Take it from me. And if anybody would like to challenge me, they can challenge me. The variety of projects will be sometimes 20%, 25%. Some projects will be 
15%, but there is no international operational program will cost any international organization less than 15%. This is a honesty and this is transparency. If you want to give to us or anybody else, here you go. Even one of the great sheikhs, his name was Faisal uh, Maulawi, he was uh, nearly the mufti of Lebanon, and you ask them this question, how much is the admin cost? He said, it is up to you people during the surrounding circumstances of the project. It could be 5%, it could be 50%. We said, how? We can't prove to you. During the war in South Sudan, there was no trucks going during the winters, uh, 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 the winter time to the South Sudan. Only airdrop by air. So when you end and the other big organizations, even this have been used in Mosul recently, use the airdrop, it goes up to 60 or 70%. And what he said, you spend the 60% or 70% or 50% or 40% to enable us to get the 40 or 50% to the people who are in a dire need and they might die if they don't receive the money. Let the people who make fatwa when they are sitting in, a, in, in, a, in an office without visiting the field to go to Afghanistan, to the mountains of Afghanistan, to go to the shanty towns of India, or to go to the swamps of Africa without having medical insurance, even sometimes life insurance. You find all the different kinds of diseases when you go to this area, from dengue fever to yellow fever to all these kinds of things, to elismaniasis, kalazar, and all these sorts of things. It is killing, and nobody goes there. During the war of Chechnya, who wants to go to this area? During the war of Bosnia, who wants to go to this area? Shoot to kill. So don't come and bluff people by unrealistic fatwa and say this percentage is more than enough. You don't know the cost of the operation unless you go and see it. And sometimes with the transparency, Sister Maimuna and Dr. Khalid, to be very honest, we have to increase the allowances of the orphan sponsorship because it's not enough. The word sponsorship in Islam and in Arabic, Sister Maimuna, is kafala. Kafala is how to treat the orphan like your daughter, like your actually son. How to treat the widow like your wife. And this does not like your wife or your actually your sister. And this is not $20 or $50 or $60. But the donor goes to the cheapest and here our challenge, Dr. Khalid and Sister Maimuna, is how can we educate our donor that those people should enjoy a similar or less life than what we have. Just a life, a comfortable life. $40, per, $40 $50, $60 is never enough. But the donor is twisting our arm. Because charitable activities now become like a competition, marked competition. $29 organization, $30 organization. No, it does work this way. And there was in a conference and there was a stop. 
by one of the great sheikhs, Dr. Ali Khordaghi, when I said, let us have the sponsorship money for the orphans up to $100. He said, no, you cannot say that. He said, why? He said, because kafala as a career means you give to the young girl as an orphan or the young uh, boy as an orphan what he or what she needs. And here, Sister Maimuna, Dr. Khalid, we need to educate our donor that kafala. Me and the sponsor uh, of, of orphan like this in heaven, not with the $25, not with the $30, but what we give to the orphan to satisfy him or her. This is honesty and transparency. Dr. Hani, you know, this understanding and, and, and this understanding of charitable work. Uh, there's even a challenge as you were mentioning a little earlier like for people on the ground who are even doing this um how do you carry yourself and how do we actually as both those that are on the ground engaging in the relief work as well as those on the donor side how does this mind frame this it's 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 different from what we just define as, you know, just giving money or just giving something. And and I know you have some a definition as well of what does it mean to do relief work and how do we frame this in the Islamic worldview? May, may I add, uh, uh, Dr. Hani, to this uh, question, just to make it also more uh, 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 connect also with some other uh, types of uh, people watching. Uh, some start to see uh, charity and relief events as uh, as an elite elite event where uh, people are basically uh, giving uh, from money from what they have may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward them but it's becoming more very uh, more materialistic in a uh, in a sense you see uh, some celebrities uh, traveling taking pictures with uh, with uh, different uh, people different uh, challenged or struggling people uh, you see high-end galas that are happening. So there is also an additional materialistic uh, uh, aspect to the charity and relief activities that are moving away from the kafala ideas and the relief ideas that you and charity ideas that you are mentioning. How do you bring all of these together and make, make sense out of them? Uh, we have seen this, unfortunately, this is the language of the time. And this is the philosophy of the culture of the time nowadays. In the good old days, when we used to raise 100 pounds from a mosque, we'd say, hey, alhamdulillah, big amount of money. During the 90s, when I was uh, competing with one or two brothers in America, touring America with Delta Pass for about 25, 30 days, my income from 25 days was actually less than $25,000. And they're competing, two or three people going around, mosque to mosque, before starting to do the charity dinner. For starting, we pay for the celebrities. Paying for the celebrities is a double-edged sword. Giving a percentage to a fundraiser is a double-edged sword. I'm against it 100%. You come and carry my flag. They give you the money, not because you are a celebrity, because you are the ambassador of the organization. Okay. This is where we need to ask our organization not to bend their back to the celebrities, 
But the, the celebrities that you become more valuable, but credible celebrities, if you stand on the platform of the poor and the needy. This one will like the tarbiyah, to be very honest. When I said earlier on that the people who made the difference for Islamic life in the 90s were young people, they were melted inside the machine of uh, uh, operational work, the machine of vision, the machine of uh, moral values, the machine of role modeling, the machine of connecting together as a family. Not nowadays working from home because of COVID. This is a joke. This is absolute joke. Should not be a, a characteristic of any social organization. It kills the spirit. It kills the community aspect. It will never, it will never create a leadership. If a worker in any charitable organization said I work from home, tell him the people who make the, your, 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 your organization famous working from the community based. I was in Kenya and other places at the end of COVID and I found the people, Muslims and non-Muslims working for Islamic Relief were not working from home. Even some of the non-Muslims were fasting to share their experience. Even they used to work for 18 hours or 17 hours or 14 hours a day to deliver the aid material. And you get me somebody nowadays try to legalize working from home. So what? And this is where you lose the spirit. This is where you lose the values. And this is where you lose the, the, the morality. And this is where you lose the ability to create a sound, and strong, capable, credible, integral leadership of this new fashion of working from home. If you the need to work from home, you work from home. But how can you connect with your colleague, with your superior, and with your subordinate? How? How can you connect with people who are sitting in front of a... Uh, of, of, yes, there's a need for communication sometimes, to use Zoom and others. But there's a, a, a dire need to build the connectivity which make the leadership sound. Otherwise, will we have some people who will never be able to face the challenges even in Canada, not actually in the difficult areas. We're going to go to Turkey now on your trip, inshallah, and I think you're also traveling the next few days. But uh, before getting there, uh, Dr. Hani, as we talk about the history and uh, the beginnings, there are some moments uh, in one's life uh, and in one's experience that uh, uh, that makes that effort and that sacrifice uh, worth it. Uh, can you share with us some of those moments where you felt that uh, that this is the right decision you made? This is the activity that helped, that actually helped people, or even this is what you feel, inshallah, proud that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, inshallah, inshallah, uh, uh, might and will accept, uh, will accept from you. Can you share with us some of those moments? I think I have quite a few difficult decisions in my life. Very difficult decisions in my life. First of all, to leave Egypt in 1977 and go to become a, a qualified doctor. I felt on, on the plane that I'm not going to go back to Egypt. I was in tears for three and a half hours. Second one, when I joined 
when we started Islamic Relief. It was my baby. It was my elder baby. It was my dream. It was, it was, it was, it was, it was. A time came that I grew out after 25 years of the relief and the operational work. And when they appointed me to become a president, not a CEO anymore, I have a space to travel for. I have a time to think and reflect and have different people and places to meet. That started, we started to create a different idea. So I failed to do it inside Islamic Relief, not because Islamic Relief was not able to do it, but the machine of Islamic Relief now takes every day a different idea. So I have to decide to leave Islamic Relief to start this new journey, which is more difficult than Islamic Relief. Communication, networking, capacity building, community building, and others. This was very difficult in 2018. But before that, 1995 was a very, very crucial turning point in my life when I decided to leave medicine. When I took my doctor of medicine in 1991, I went back to my mother, 1995 or 1992, to give him the certificate of the graduation. And by 1995, I quit medicine. So my travel, quoting medicine, leaving Islamic relief. These are very crucial decisions in my life. Recently, I'm stepping down from many chairmanship in different uh, organizations. Alhamdulillah, I've done it, quite a few offices. I've done it in another organization without mentioning the names. And this is a message here, brother uh, Khalid and sister Maimuna. Nobody could be forever a president or forever a CEO or forever a trustee or forever a chairman. This is a message for the people in the Islamic world, especially. Because quite often they say, oh, let us protect our values. Okay, fine. Prophet Islam died. Who protected the values of Islam? The Sahaba, the Khulafa died. Who is protecting the values of Islam? The people. And here's the challenge of the succession planning, which you might find one of the most successful offices of Islamic life globally in Islamic Relief Canada. Because of the younger generation in the board of trustees and on the board of executives. It's planning. When you bring women, when you bring young men to the decision-making level. And this is some of the difficult decisions. You love something, but you have to leave it. I was discovering something Sister Maimuna and Brother Khalid after my visit, last visit. In, uh, it was uh, Jordan back to back with, uh, with uh, Turkey, 17 days. On the way back from Istanbul to Birmingham, I was a dead man. Even I was praying for Allah that Allah upgrade my ticket from economy to business. He did, alhamdulillah. <laughs> Despite the fact, I don't know how to make that. But anyway, but I realized that my role is not in running, jumping, 
having long meetings, I mean, it's in thinking, writing, and directing, and transparent knowledge. And I'm speaking to you today for the last maybe two and a half weeks. We did the most difficult job that people are not recognizing, which is coordination between the Syrian organizations. The first coordinating meeting, it was on the 12th of February. See what no, we have to do. The second was on the 18th, on the 18th of February. And since 18th of February, we are in a constant meeting to try to issue a statement to be signed by hundreds of organizations. From 18, what's today? 20 is 10 days internal discussion to tweak, translate, to add, to get the permission of making a statement. This is what will fail as an organization. Everybody is running by himself or herself. Everybody wants to put their logo on their name first. You know, we have got many coordinating bodies in the, for the CN organization, but this one, we give it a new name, does not carry any of the names of others, and everybody is happy. This is the challenge for all of us. And this what, when you leave something you love, you take something that Allah will give. When Allah gave, He gave you what you love more. And I mean, this is actually, I mean, that's why I love you. Before we moved, actually, I know Brother Khaled wanted to move to Turkey, but uh, Dr. Hani, I want to, to ask you, through all of this, you know, all these experiences that you've shared with us, how do you define relief work? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I was in a discussion on the 12th or on the 13th of, uh, of February. We were in Adana, myself and the young Egyptian, and in Adana and on the other side of the world, which is actually somebody called Ahmad Sheikh in uh, in uh, Idlib. And the discussion happened going up and up. And we said, it is necessary to clarify the concept and nature of humanitarian reform in the whole world. Let's please, in the whole world, we should not at our age, at our experience, but our knowledge, do it locally only. We do it locally to make it global action. Okay? What are these uh, concepts? Removing rubble, supporting vehicles with fuel, supporting rescue teams is a relief work. Let the people listen to this. The people only want to give you money for food and clothes and water. Extracting the affected people from under the rubble is a relief work. Supporting medical personnel and supporting hospitals with all supplies, equipment, and devices is a relief work. Advocacy for people is a relief work. Coordination, communication, and networking between institutions and the association is a relief work. Honest, real, and the informative media to educate people is a relief work. Pressure on government and the humanitarian institution is a relief work. Putting pressure. Reconstruction is a relief work. Family economic. Family economic and the community empowerment is a relief work. Mental health. I think that you are, you are interested in the mental health, Sister uh, 
מימון, זה עדיין סייקוסות של ספורט, אה? זה של ספיישליזם? מנטל הלס, and helping the affected families is a relief for rehabilitation of young people, raising local capabilities is a relief for. So this is our definition at this time and age. We should not be waiting for a very old, classic, static definition done by others. When people are dying, we have to re-invigorate the people to think logically and to support the, the process of relief work, not actually to say, oh, like actually uh, what happened United Nations was six days late to respond, unfortunately, to the calamity in Syria after the earthquake. This should not, should not happen. Anyway. Building on this, uh, Dr. Hani, and uh, uh, focusing on, t- uh, on Turkey and Syria, and mashallah, I think, uh, subhanallah, one saw the reaction, like that the ummah is still alive through these uh, calamities that you see the youngest, even in the furthest places like Canada or Australia, uh, reacting and wanting to help and donating and uh, attending events and and trying to really uh, support all the way from the youngest to the to the eldest, uh, uh, attempting to uh, to to respond to this kind of calamity. And we've seen also uh, the damages and the destruction and the pictures coming from these uh, uh, from the different places. Uh, and Alhamdulillah, I think people are aware on what to do at the moment, like at the at the at the moment of uh, uh, this calamity and the immediate work, and you've d- uh, outlined some. But I think a challenge of many in the relief sector is basically how do we maintain that connection, especially also as a big ummah, as people who care about our brothers and sisters, how can we make it a longer term connection versus just a spur of the moment uh, reaction and sometimes also to feel that you've contributed and then and then it stops. How do we take it this extra mile? The extra mile comes from being well equipped to understand that the relief and development is not a job. It's a mission. It's a message. It's a deliverable products that you can create to raise the hope and the dream of the people who are praying for you day and night. And they are using their money, but they are not living in the same standard that we live. If we do not educate the young people that this kind of social activity and social program and relief and humanitarian work is the mission and the message which is a part of the prophetical messages of all the prophets, it will become, as you say, the activity. We have taken the mission. Look at the great example of Maulana Eidi from Pakistan, Sattar Eidi, uneducated, managed with his well and drive and vision through the mission that he wanted to accomplish after the death of his mother, because he did not find an ambulance to take her to hospital. In the 50s, he created the biggest organization dealing with ambulances in first aid. When he died, 
None of the young people know the story of Abdul Karim. None of the young people know saw a drama of documentary about Abdul Sattar because we do not invest in this because we thought that it is not it's a waste of time, it's a waste of money. But we saw those people who have been created as role models by other cultures and the other uh, uh, faith and the other uh, ideological group. Somebody like Abdul Rahman al-Sumit to live in Africa with his family. And they created that a, 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 a huge organization. Took him 40 years. Others, others, others. Who is documenting this? Tell this organization. Who is documenting your history? Who is documenting the achievement of the young boys and girls who came and make a difference? Who is doing this? We do not believe in study and research. We do not believe in making analysis. We do not believe in all these kind of things. That's why we cannot change the mindset of people for generations to come. Unless we document, we do not believe in writing the history. Of our organization, the history of our leaders, the round, the sound leaders, the history for us is written by somebody who made it fake, unfortunately. Because we don't believe that money of charity could be spent on this to create role models. We do not respect our role model, unfortunately. We sometimes fight against them. Time, dim the shining stars. Damn it. That oh, they are arrogant. They talk about not talk about myself or themselves. They talk about the community. They feel the agony. I take you back to what I said earlier. Will you imagine young married people for six or seven or eight years never spend the Ramadan with their family? Successively, these are role models, but we're going to talk about them. None. None. This is why we don't understand how can we create leadership, how can we build the platform for young people to become leaders, how can we uh, coach and mentor the young people to become leaders. It's not activities. What is done nowadays because this is the culture of the time is activities to raise funds. Most of the boards are only interested in how much money we raise and how much money we spend. What is the impact? Do we measure the impact of spending five or ten or twenty or fifty million in certain areas? Do we have Sister Maimuna? and Brother Khalid, a program, development program. Program is not activity. Program is made out of projects. Projects is an activity inside a program. We don't. Do we measure the impact on the life of the young girl? When we dig, we dug a wall, a wall, a, a, 
a well in the area. We did this in Kashmir, in Pakistan. Then girl used to go up and down the mountain five, six times a day. Each time five liters, five liters, five liters of water. But when we build the water reservoir in the mountain, we save the girl from coming up and down five, six times. If they went to school. So the impact here is the increasing number of enrolling of girls in the school. More water available for people to have shower or to have bath once or twice a week. Or to cultivate some plant in front of the yard, in the front yard of the house. Or for the wife at home to do something to be sold in the community. Market. This is the impact. Go and educate our donors and tell them we need to spend money on how to measure the impact. They will tell you no, I'm not going. We will never go, we will never progress. My generation is very tired. Sister Maimona and brother and brother Khalid. Because the other generation only believe in hate and run. Greater Western history and the search studies in culture, in philosophy, in values, all this kind of things. In building younger generations and the empowering women. That's what we need to invest in. Otherwise, we cannot sustain our organization without having this. I'll, I'll end by saying something. Do we have critical masses? Do we have critical individuals? We might have critical individuals, but we don't have critical mass. Do we have think tanks supported by the community to understand the value of having a think tank? No, we don't. So the Ummah is alive, but where is going? That's right, where is going? Unless we put this on the table of the donor and try to educate our donor that these are as important as food and water and clothes, we'll never be able to be the leader of humanity. And these are uh, very uh, important uh, critical messages that you're sharing uh, with everyone and we echo uh, what you are uh, what you're saying in terms of what needs to be done uh, and this is out of the experience of all of those years so i see uh, you pinpointing uh, education uh, donor education education general awareness uh, research based uh, decision making and and policy and policy research and impact analysis of the work that uh, happens and uh, invest in developmental uh, uh, projects, uh, programs that include uh, multiple uh, dimension projects that work across different dimensions. And, uh, and I see this all extremely uh, valuable input. Uh, one last thing that would like you to connect uh, us with is really the, I think what you're investing in is uh, now at this point in time, uh, the human connection. Uh, connecting with people on the ground, uh, connecting people who are working together. Uh, you said investing in communication and uh, building networks that have a vision that can connect with each other. 
I think this is an area that you're uh, specializing in. If you can tell us what you're doing uh, uh, in this dimension uh, in Turkey or otherwise, I think would be very uh, good to share with our audience as well. I think we had in one of our meetings on the 18th of uh, February, one of the relief workers of Islamic Relief was actually reporting when he came out from inside Syria. And for young people, very energetic, very excited, dumping aid material, taking some photograph and leaving. You know what he said? A hundred is haram. Communication becomes a compelling duty, not necessity. A compelling fard. Like, La ilaha illallah, make you Muslim, isn't it? Communication nowadays in this area is like, La ilaha illallah. Like, Iqamat salah. Like, Allahu Akbar in Iqamat salah. When people come and cry for the lack of communication, you have a lot of waste of effort, time, resources, and money. Then, lack of confidence from the door. Being energetic, excited, emotionally excited is good, but not good enough. If you want me to talk about this area, the distraction I saw in, in, in uh, Antakya reminded me of the Second World War scenes. Areas completely demolished. Demolished, demolished. I didn't want to become very optimistic, but the cost of the construction might go to reach hundred thousand, hundred hundred billion euro. Unfortunately, till I was there it was thirty thousand, thirty about twenty-seven thousand building being demolished or actually destroyed totally apart from the ones who are standing on its high heel cracked the cost of reconstruction in turkey might be rocket high so i ask my young people to raise fund keep raising but don't spend it now coordinate with the local organization coordinate with the international organization, if you have an access to it, or coordinate with the Turkish government or the so-called organization inside Syria. Because of the, 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 the government inside Syria, Northwest of Syria is very weak and is not strong enough. But the, please, please, for God's sake, it's not a photograph, it's not an image, it's not a chit chat, it's not a hashtag, it's not the number of likes, it's not it's a life of people. You raise the money for the people, not for your photograph. You raise the life, the, the, the money for the future, for the dreams of the children, for relieving the pain of the wounded in hospital, for the people who are shocked in the hospital. Not for your photograph, not for how many likes. Not for, ah, I was there, I saw, I feel pity. Pity for what? I feel pity for you. Because you don't understand how to use the money has been given to you by the donors. 
with as much money as you can, but think collectively, impactfully of how you spend it. Because the reconstruction and the economy building will take years. Years with us inside northwest of Syria, which are already suffering from the this conflict there or in Turkey itself. You know how many earthquakes, tremors, sorry, tremors up to now, nearly reaching 10,000 yes, tremors. And people, just, since yesterday, there was another tremor, another area. People are scared to go to any place with a roof. Even if you give them a caravan, they might be scared. For the cabin. They have the phobia. We call it roof phobia. And you go and take a photograph and come and say, yes, mommy, daddy, yeah. Just work this way. Save the money, but raise the money. And connect and communicate. The people who are not communicating nowadays and coordinating are as the moon. I will stand before Allah as social mufti, not religious mufti. I say in front of Allah, they are Athim. Athim, Athim, sinners. Sinners, sinners, if they do not communicate, connect and coordinate. Because the money needed is in tens of billions. Dr. Hany these are uh, very uh, honest uh, conversations. Uh, uh, we didn't know what to expect uh, today, and uh, we're towards the end of the, the conversation. I want to continue uh, for more, but maybe, inshallah, when your time permits, that we uh, we share uh, additional insights from you in the future. But I think what what I personally came out of with uh, in terms of uh, what can we do after is uh, is actually an encouraging message and uh, an encouraging message that uh, you uh, tens of years ago uh, started with almost no resources along with a few of your colleagues and you are now in a position and uh, the organizations that you contributed to are in a position to help uh, thousands of people inshallah and even help countries and help uh, people, inshallah, rebuild their lives and, and be in different places. I think we're in a moment after these catastrophes uh, this year with the uh, flood in uh, Pakistan and, and now the earthquake in Turkey and Syria, for many people around the world to realize that this is a beginning time. This is a time to think, as uh, Dr. Hani was saying, to act now, act now, and help people now, help people now, uh, uh, more than thinking in, our, in the comforts of our uh, seats or in comforts in our uh, conditions. This is a time where we can, inshallah, uh, begin initiatives that, inshallah, we see uh, will fruit in the uh, future. But as we end always with uh, prayers and stuff, and I, uh, I have to ask you this uh, question, uh, Dr. Hani, as you reflect uh, back uh, on your uh, the people that started this journey with you. Uh, you mentioned Dr. Ihsan, uh, Dr. Asam al-Haddad, uh, and many others that you mentioned uh, before. Uh, what kind of prayer you have uh, for them and what kind of memory and remembrance you have with them, especially as we approach uh, those blessed months of uh, Ramadan? I think 
may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward them abundantly. Many people that you know, and maybe many people that we don't know. And the most, we, we started as families in Birmingham. Let me go back to the sister side point, not you. <laughs> the family of Qureshi, the two Qureshi, originally Pakistani. The family of Al-Mualid, Yemeni. The family of Al-Khulaqi, Yemeni. The family of Tipu Sultan, Indian from London. And the family of Hazam, Yemeni. This family were carrying us on their shoulder. Yes. We were a member of every family in Birmingham. Yes. That's why the family gave us their daughters, their sons, their brothers, their sisters. That's why they trusted us. Honesty here is by the reflection of the love of the family to give you the best of what they have, which is their children. Yes. One of them is Anwar in America. One of them is Jangir and Sakandra Ali now is in Ankara with David and others and others. And, uh, and Zaid Rooney is there with you in Canada. Those family stood behind a few people. Nobody recognized them at that time. Nobody took care of them at that time. Nobody even looked at them at that time. You know, I remember a statement by one of the theologians about Prophet Muhammad. He said, a man with a woman, with a child, with a friend. Started the one thousand year journey. And they succeeded to let the globe to bow down for their message. And their message is still alive up till now and forever. It's because he is Muhammad. It's because he is Khadija. It's because he is Ali. And it's because he is Abu Bakr. Here, you can make the difference. When Allah put his hand in your hand and make you stand in front of the tsunami and the tsunami will split to allow you to live through it and this is the message of islam and this is the message for social workers and this is the message for humanitarian and relief workers and this is the message for politicians for economists for teachers for theologians let Allah stand with you. And I believe that those people who stood 40 years ago, Allah 
will bless them forever and they will forever will be in heaven heaven on earth and heaven in the year to come Amen Amen, Amen Jazakumullah khairan Dr. Hani and as you said inshallah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala remembers them and we inshallah all remember them in our prayers and our dua and uh, we'll continue pray for them inshallah and everybody who receives and, and benefits from the efforts and activists uh, and activism and support and advocacy of all those brothers and sisters inshallah will uh, will inshallah we reap this reward and blessings from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and with this i thank you very much uh, dr hani for being with us today may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept uh, all your efforts give you support and inshallah make you inspire uh, more and more people inshallah to do good and all in your balances of good balance of good deeds inshallah uh, we pray for you and we pray for uh, uh, everybody who's doing uh, the good work that you uh, have encouraged and inspired. And with this, I ask uh, Sister Mamoun, inshallah, to uh, bring this to a close. Thank you, Dr. Hani, for uh, being with us and uh, this conversation um, and getting us to think, really think about uh, how we engage and how we interpret and we look at humanitarian work. Jazakallah khair. I want to remind our viewers that we are here with you every Thursday evening live at 7.30 p.m. Um, and also, uh, if you want to continue to make any donations, Mac is uh, collecting. So you can uh, visit us at macnet.ca forward slash earthquake. Um, and with that, inshallah, we will close. And uh, Dr. Henny, if you would be able to make a closing dua for us tonight. نمر بهذه الدعوة التامة والصلاة القائمة آل سيدنا محمد الفضيلة الوسيلة الدرجة الرفيعة بعثت الدعوة المقاوة المحبوب الذي بعثته إنك لا تخلف الميعاد لما صلي وسلم وبارك على سيدنا محمد النبي الأمي الكريم وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين سبحان ربنا ربنا Life is an online production by the Muslim Association of Canada.